Y'all, this episode is everything. So if you're new here and you didn't know this, welcome. But this podcast, I really love featuring people who are just living out their dharma, like doing their life's work in a way that's so aligned for them and is like off the beaten path. They're like following their own true dream. And this episode is all that and more. So not only do we get to hear the awesome story of Katie Adams, who is a somatic psychotherapist. We're going to talk more about what that means and what her practice is like. In the episode, we get to hear the story of how she went from growing up on a cattle ranch in Texas to kind of, you know, I guess living among the hippies to cattle ranchers doing this somatic experiencing work from the body of work of Peter Levine. If you're familiar with that, if not, don't worry, we'll explain it. But Also, she shares in this episode so many research-backed tips behind the work of somatic therapy, which is basically mind and body therapy, linking mind and body to heal trauma, and that's what she does now, and we just talk about so much in this episode all along the lines of her story. So if you've ever wondered about the difference between EMDR, somatic experiencing, all the other forms of somatic therapies that are used for trauma, and also yoga, we talk about the role yoga plays as an adjunct treatment and why it can be essential as a part of this process and you know, kind of how to stay in your lane as a yoga teacher if you are one right? And the role of how yoga teachers can work with therapists, or if you're a person receiving therapy for this kind of thing, the role that yoga can play. If you've ever wondered about the process of changing your career after your 10 years in and have a graduate degree and then getting multiple other certificates and hefty credentials 10 years into your career, Katie pulled that off really well. It wasn't an easy process, of course, but so tune in to hear the story of how, and if you've ever wondered about self-publishing a book, despite not having a social media following, that kind of stuff, Katie Adams is just a shining light of What can happen when you really work through your own stuff, your own deep layers of healing? And she shares about that process for her in a way that's very like, we don't do any trauma dumping. We don't do that around here. We don't share about the trauma itself because that's not the important part. The important part is how you came out of it. And since she's a somatic psychotherapist, she also shares in a really succinct and easy to understand way how the research behind why this stuff works and how it works and just how it all works together. What a fun conversation. It's packed with research and tips and tools, and it's just an interesting story to listen to. So I'm glad you're here, and I'd like to extend you a very warm welcome to the Science of Light podcast. I'm your host, Rosemary Holbrook, your friendly neighborhood Vedic astrologer and yoga teacher training to become a yoga therapist. So this is my jam. We're here to demystify the Vedic sciences so you can add a little more magic to your mundane, always with a lens of research-backed and evidence-based practices so that you can heal your trauma, manifest your dream life, all the good, fun stuff. Welcome. I'm glad you're here. Without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Hello, and welcome to the Science of Light. I'm your host, Rosemary, and today I'm joined by Katie Adams. Hi. Hi. So... What you do is super cool and we're going to get there, but do you mind starting off just telling us your story and if yoga fits in that story or not, you know, like what is your story? Okay. Well, 
I grew up um, in a small town in Texas on a cattle ranch. My family had a bunch of cattle and kind of stereotypical, you know, where my dad wore a cowboy hat and a, a belt and boots every day and all that. And so we, we had a lot of cattle and we also had, you know, I had horses growing up and friends had horses. And so I was around a lot of big animals and I would have to go before school and, you know, feed the cows. And then we would have to sometimes herd the cattle into different pastures um, for different reasons. And I didn't, you know, I didn't realize it until much later, you know, till recently, maybe five, 10 years ago, that that was the beginning of my story as a somatic psychotherapist, because <laughs> I think that being around those big animals with those big nervous systems, I had to learn how to move those animals and that herd with my own nervous system. And so, wow. you know, yelling at a cow isn't really going to do much to move them. You have to kind of feel your own energy and use that energy to move the herd. And, you know, that was never spoken, but that's just how you do it, you know? Right. And so that is the beginning of my story. I, you know, I want to put that in there because, I, you know, I, I often forget that that's really how it all started. So then, you know, fast forward. I was in my 20s and I was in grad school and I have an undergraduate degree in writing and I was in a master's program in writing. And I decided for my uh, thesis to do a, a series of personal essays and it was entitled Daughter, Essays on Land and Body Image. And so I really started going deep into what it meant to be a female on a cattle ranch, what it meant to be a female in, you know, in all these different ways and how I was feminine and not feminine and how femininity was portrayed in my family and, right. and about, you know, that connection to land. And I developed uh, chronic fatigue syndrome. And because I realized I was like, wow, I knew my family wasn't perfect, but wow, I have some trauma here. <laughs> and so just that process kind of laid me flat and I didn't know it was happening. So you realized the trauma at the same time you developed chronic fatigue syndrome? Yes. I think it, there, there was a connection there of kind of allowing and knowing that my, my trauma history to come to the surface and having acknowledgement of it and not overriding, not suppressing anymore. Right. And so then kind of the, the floodgates were open mm -hmm. and I, you know, I would wake up in the morning at one point, I remember, and I would walk from my bed to the bathroom sink to brush my teeth and I would brush my teeth and I would be exhausted from doing that. And I'd have to go back to bed. Wow. And so that whole thing, you know, from getting sick and writing my thesis to getting better was a period of seven years. And in that time, I had all these different kinds of doctors. I went to every kind of body work practitioner. You know, I did yoga, I, you know, just everything that I could possibly try to get better. Um, I wanted to do that. And I, I went to a rheumatologist and for six months, they drew 13 vials of blood from me every month to test all these different things that were going right. on with me. And so I had very real markers that there was something wrong, but I knew that it came from my psychology. 
Mm -hmm. And after six months, I said, you know what? I don't, I don't need to get these tests anymore because I'm not taking the medication you say you're going to give me for this because it causes blindness. And I need to focus on getting better, not coming to the doctor all the time. And my GP, my general practitioner, uh, he said, you can do that, but at some point I'm going to want to get these numbers back. So a year later, um, my numbers, which they said that it's called an ANA titer that they said would never go back to normal, went back to normal. And it is because I really focused on, you know, the, the mind body connection and I'm going to get myself better physically, but I know this is psychological. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I found something in that, which helped me the most, which was something called somatic experiencing. And there's okay. a branch of SE that's table work and you're on a table and you're being touched by the therapist. And so that is actually what I do now and what I've been doing since 2007 ish, um, because that worked for me. So in that time were you kind of just like trying different things, that's how you found yes. it. Yes. Okay. Yeah. 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 So it was a long process. And, and in that I learned a lot. Um, I also, you know, when in being sick, the first thing that actually happened was I started doing shamanic work. I didn't know that I was doing shamanic work, but I'd have people over and I would, you know, just, just work on them. And they were claiming I was healing them of all these things like infertility that they'd been had for three years of cancer of all these physical things. And I wanted to know why it works scientifically. Cause it seemed mm -hmm. very, very woo woo. And I wasn't going to stand for that. I yeah. was a skeptic of my own process. I, and, but I was also like, well, this is working. So why is it working? What's the science? So right. SE actually seemed to, you know, provide the closest explanation. Um, so I'm going to pause there. Cause I'll see if you have any questions. Cause I'm just going on and I could keep going. <laughs> no, that's so cool. That's, I love that. I, I feel like I see parallels all the time. That's why I always ask people to share their story. It's like we have this quote unquote regular childhood, right? Or whatever yeah. a lot of folks like American normal and then get to adulthood and either you're already on track with what you want to be on track with in life or the shit hits the fan and yeah. you have to figure it out. And we try different things. For me, it was yoga, you know. Yeah, somatic experiencing. That's so cool. So thanks for sharing that nitty gritty part of your story. So then my question is, how did you go from, um, kind of that, you know, you were trying different things. How did that lead into what you do now? Because I assume you weren't, you know, you were, your degree was in writing, not psychotherapy, right? Like yeah, what that's was right. that process? Like, yes. Yeah. yes. So, uh, while I was sick, I was teaching, uh, English literature and composition at um, the community college. So I was teaching college English. And because of that, I had a flexible schedule. You know, I could make appointments for office hours with students. All I had to do was just show up for the class and teach the class. And so I was, you know, it, it was the most flexible job I could have had while I was in that situation. So it, it worked yeah. out. But I I realized, you know, I, actually, I, I taught for 10 years. And I got burnt out. And I also realized, because I was teaching the same classes, you know, every semester for 10 years, that's a lot of, you know, of teaching yeah. the same class over and over. And what was interesting is that when students would come and they would read these short stories, of course, they would 
have things happen where they would make parallels with their life and the story. Mm-hmm. And it was this thing where I ended up being a mentor for people um, about really big changes in their life. And I realized that's what I love about teaching was being a mentor and helping people navigate those, you know, life transitions. And so I, that at the same time with learning all these techniques, learning about how I help myself get better. I was like, you know, I, I want to, I want to offer this to other people, what helped me. And so SC is a program. It's three years. You can, you can do it on your own um, without having, if you're a body worker, but you have to have a body work license or a therapist license. So I really wasn't that excited about being a therapist. I didn't really care about being a therapist because I, I wanted to do this. I wanted to. So something unusual happened, which did, which is when you're getting your hours um, as a therapist and you're in school, um, you know, you're not paid and you just, you, you, you know, I, I happen to work in an agency and I was so, you know, like, this is what I'm doing. This is who I am. And very confident about that, that I told the agency, I'm bringing a table into the agency and I'm going to offer this. So while I was still a student, I was doing table work with people. So I got to, you know, I was doing the training and in school at the same time. So that was, so you were in school for psychotherapy and somatic experiencing at the same time. I was doing the the training and in school at the same time. So I'm a licensed professional counselor. I'm also a licensed marriage and family therapist and I'm a somatic experiencing practitioner. And so that's a three-year program. And then on top of that, I've done multiple um, separate additional training and SE table work. And That's then awesome. other types of body work, but I, you know, I'm not a body worker, but I'm very familiar with it. Um, and then I also have helped um, assistant teach the SE trainings. So was there like a moment? So you said it, SE was like instrumental in your own healing. Was there like a moment where you were like, I feel better. I need to like take this to other people. Was, was that a moment or did it happen slowly over time? I mean, it was it was both. I mean, it was more like it was a moment and then other things would happen and it would solidify that I needed to do that. You know, it was incremental. It was accumulative and an additive, you know? So that's how that happened. Um, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, you know, I was at the point, you know, one point where I couldn't walk around the block and then I slowly, you know, I got to walk around the block and then I started you know, walking a mile and then I started running a mile. So it, you know, that's how that happened. And that's how I, it it feels like it happens all at once, but it's incremental. So that's kind of how healing happens, right? You build up all that stuff and then all of a sudden it just kind of is there. Yep. That's how it happened for me too. That's awesome. So just for another piece of clarification, can you say a little bit more about what somatic experience it what, like what it is, how you brought it into your practice at that point. Yes. It's it's a natural, it's a naturalistic approach for healing trauma. So the way we look at it is that, um, trauma isn't a thing that happens. It's the meaning we make of it. And so the founder, Peter Levine, he, this is from watching animals in the wild. And so in our trainings, we actually do watch a lot of videos of animals. Um, and it's really, kind of tracking the nervous system rather than working on 
you know, other therapies, you know, you have CBT, which is cognitive behavioral. A lot of therapies are psychodynamic, uh, or working on the emotions. So SE really, you know, you're working with cognitions, you're working with emotions, but you're also adding the somatic piece. So that is to me, you know, like when I started this way back, it was kind of cutting edge. Yeah. And it seems silly that it was, but we knew it was like, this isn't mainstream. And now it is more mainstream and kind of everybody knows that you have to add the somatic piece to, to your healing. Um, so that is just, you know, it's, it's interesting, um, how, you know, and if you think back, you know, in Freud's time, there was, uh, Freud and then Wilhelm Reich. And, you know, he really, uh, also was big about bringing in the somatic piece, but there was all this kind of, you know, he got in trouble for some stuff that he shouldn't have done, but he was experimenting at the time, you know? And so, it kind of shut out the somatics of psychotherapy early on. And now it's just, now it's taken all this time for it to come back and be mainstream again. Yeah. Yeah. So that's awesome. So just a sidebar question, isn't that also what's kind of behind EMDR? No, that one. I am not a fan of EMDR. I'm okay. I, I I hate saying that, but I'm not more. That's cool. Yeah, I, I pro- I'm going to probably get in trouble for this, but I'll, I'll say it. Ah, so okay. I think that it's better now. So things that you can, there's a protocol and you can easily have control and variable for experiments. Those are the things that are more readily researched. And so we have more information about them. And so these things that can be researched, they get kind of better reputations, whether they are, you know, they work or not, you know, something like SE, you know, I I do SE, but my SE is very different than somebody else's because I have different trainings that go into what I do and different, you know, all that stuff. So EMDR is a protocol that you apply. So it's easier to research it. So about seven, eight years ago, EMDR, you know, became very popular and all these therapists were rushing out to get the training. And what happened was they'd learn this protocol on a weekend and then they'd go to the office on Monday and they would start doing it with their clients without having a deeper understanding of the science behind it and what they were Mm -hmm. were doing and why they would just apply the protocol and the clients weren't necessarily ready, you know, or able to tolerate it. There's something called the window of tolerance and you have to build that up before you can do trauma work with someone. And they weren't working with the person's window of tolerance and increasing that ability for that person to tolerate that work. And so people were having psychotic breaks. They were, you know, just kind of, they would have breakdowns. And I, a a good chunk of my practice at that time was putting people back together, quote unquote, after having EMDR sessions. So I've never even heard of that dark side of, I've just only heard like, it's a magic pill type stuff about EMDR. Yeah, no. Um, (laughs) Now I want to say, I I do want to say, and this is my theory. I don't know this. And I'm just some person out here giving my opinion that isn't, you know, probably isn't valid at all, but you know, my opinion from what I've seen anecdotally with people is that EMDR is not a good, uh, technique for people who want to grow and evolve. 
If you are someone who, let's say you're a veteran and you are suicidal and you're having really intense nightmares, PTSD flashbacks, go get EMDR because it will be helpful quickly, right? If done correctly (laughs) and quickly helping someone get out of that situation. Okay. But what it seems to do in my experience is it will kind of move the, it's called the memory packets in a way that you won't experience the hypervigilance and flashbacks in the same way. But as a practitioner of somatic work, I, because of that, it's harder for that person to then access the trauma in their body. Mm. It's like it separates it out. And so in your head, you feel better, but that trauma is still in your body and we can't access it to work on it as as easily because now those two things are kind of separated out. If that makes sense. That does make sense. It's possible, but for me to access it, 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 I see that it's more difficult. Okay. So so you mentioned, I'm not saying to not do it. I'm saying, right it's something to consider, make sure your practitioner understands polyvagal theory, the window of tolerance has a good understanding of the nervous system and neuroscience, and that they just didn't go and learn this over the weekend. And now they're giving you this basic one, two, three, four protocol, you know, and doing that. That's interesting. Yeah. So, because I've never like received EMDR, I'm not a therapist. So my limited perspective from as a person who studies yoga therapy for trauma. So it's, I don't know, less official, but still same idea Mm -hmm. of like, we're going to see where this stuff lands in your body so that we can release it instead of continuing to be trapped in those same cycles. And my understanding of EMDR from the outside was that it was like the movements of the eye bring like the left, right body brain hemispheres. And that was like how my understanding from the outside of EMDR. So 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 can you say more about the, the science behind it that you started to touch on and maybe how like somatic experiencing does address that science that sometimes Mm -hmm. maybe glossed over, you know? Yeah. So Again, I'm not against EMDR. Right. Um, right. It's more nuanced. I, I just thought, yes, yes. Now, EMDR, you know, you can hold paddles. You don't have to do the eye movement, but you can hold paddles. You can tap people's knees while they're telling you the story. That is bilateral stimulation. Mm-hmm. And when you're walking, right? If you're moving your arms and legs cross collaterally, that is bilateral stimulation. So that's why kind of walking, I think, helps people process things because anything that's doing bilateral stimulation is helping with trauma. Right. Okay. And that is part of EMDR. It's part of any kind of trauma technique, right? Trauma healing technique. So with SE, it really is about setting the conditions for that person to be able to tolerate the trauma work you're going to do. So I always start with kind of checking to see what is this person's sense of safety in their body? Do they feel safe in their body? Because most people don't even realize that they don't feel safe in their body. Right. Yeah. That's the first thing. So we kind of assess that. And then it's like, okay, if you're not safe, we have to work on that, first of all. And then if you are, then we move from there. In SD, we call it the trauma vortex and the counter vortex. So the trauma vortex is that, you know, you're pulled into your trauma whenever there's, you know, something kind of reminding you that you're going to get pulled into it. You're going to be triggered. You're going to go back to that old behavior. Counter vortex is 
your resources and your strengths and all these things. So we're always wanting to first, like, is your life stable? You know, if your life isn't stable Mm -hmm. in a place where you can really go into your trauma, we need to, we need to, you know, make sure that that's solidified. Um, We want people to be able to learn or me. I mean, I want people to be able to experience joy because some people are afraid of being happy. And if you don't have the tolerance for feeling good, how can we Mm -hmm. go into your trauma? It's not not talking about like that feeling of like when the other shoe is going to drop, when you've been through like a bunch of bad stuff in your life and you're like, oh, I just went, when am I going to get that next terrible phone call or what, like that kind of. Yes, totally. Exactly. Things like that. Yeah. And you know, this is where yoga comes in because it's a way to, when you're doing yoga, you, you know, you're, you're being asked to come into your body and you're, you know, you have to be in your body to do it, but some people they're not, you know? And so yeah. it's, oh, it's, yeah. kind of, it's a way to kind of self-select, like you're being invited to come into your body, but you're not being forced. And so right. if you go to a yoga class, you're going to start to learn. You're going to, you know, you're going to feel like, oh, this feels pleasant. Oh, this feels good to do this movement. And then, you know, you, I always tell people, your homework forever for therapy is if you're feeling good in your body, you stay and you track that feeling of good a second or two longer than you normally would have. Because if you keep doing that, you're going to keep deepening your ability to, to have your, you know, your window of tolerance grow. Right. And so it's similar to journaling. I think it works in a similar way where if you don't have the ability because of your trauma or whatever it is to really write about the most difficult parts or whatever it is you, you know, you need to actually process to work through it. Your brain will give you, you know, your own brain is giving you little bits of, of what you can tolerate, just like yoga is giving you little bits of what you can tolerate. And as you grow in tolerance, you can go deeper in yoga. You can go deeper in your writing. Right. Right. You know, and so, whereas if someone's just doing EMDR to you, it's, it's not looking at that, right. It's just kind of going in and and applying something rather than like, what, you know, what can this person tolerate? Right. And I think now more EMDR practitioners are aware of that and they've changed. And so it is more helpful, but you know, I'm talking about years ago when it first came out. So, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for all that clarification. That's super huge and important. So just a question related to that, you just said from your perspective as a, as a psychotherapist, what, like you just kind of touched on it, like the role of yoga, how it works as an adjunct therapy. Like I have my opinions about how it works or like how I stay in my lane as a yoga therapist or yoga teacher. Right. But so for somebody who might be practicing yoga, Like, what are the nuances there from your opinion as a psychotherapist? Yeah. um, Well, I actually am a yoga teacher. Okay. My yoga story is um, actually, so I started doing yoga at the same time that I was writing that thesis. That things you were trying or it was one of the things that I was trying. So probably you know, 1997, 1998 is when I started doing yoga. And of course I had no clue at the time that, you know, that I was doing at the same time that I was writing this thesis. Um, that was the thing that opened up the gates to my trauma. 
Um, so I wonder right. what it would have been like had I not been doing yoga at that time. So um, I, you know, I, I've done all kinds of yoga. I started with just regular Hatha yoga. I did Iyengar, Ashtanga. And I also, I traveled and stayed in an ashram um, when I was, you know, in my twenties. And so that, all of that, you know, the pranayama, all those practices, I think, you know, I, I just wonder what it had been like for me had I not had that. Um, right. Now to get to, to get to what, what we're getting to, which is um, I, you know, there's only one of me. Um, I have my own experiences that are very unique to me, my own personal experience, just like everyone that kind of have come together. And that is the work that I do with people when they're on the table, right. we're doing therapy. And a lot of people say, could you teach me this? And, you know, I was taught by someone, her name is Kathy Kane, and she is a body worker. And she also wrote the manual for the SE trainings. So she's, she's amazing that she's my mentor. Yeah. Um, you know, and she does her type style of work. I do mine. Um, and people say, well, can you teach me how to do this? And it, the answer is no, because you need to do your own, whatever that is. What, you know, I always thought I want to do the work that comes out of who I am yeah. and, I'm, and I'm doing that, you know, so it's kind of wild to realize that. Um, and because I can't really teach this, I've, I've always been thinking, well, what could I give to the general public that would be something that I can offer, even though they can't necessarily come to me for this table work and that sort of thing. Um, and I came up with something called somato emotional endurance. And that is, um, I'm writing a book on that currently. Um, I'm going to do my first uh, online group with that in March. And then hopefully I'll do a retreat in the fall of 2023, yeah. but yoga fits into this. Um, there are seven practices of this. And the first one is self-regulation. And I think yoga is a way to learn self-regulation. Right. Right. Yeah. So there are all kinds of ways to learn self-regulation. One of them is to do the work that I do, you know, to do trauma work, somatic experiencing table work with the people, but you know, you can, you know, we people put these things together. I really believe that physical strength, when you're physically strong, you have confidence in your body. And if right. you have more confidence in your body then something like anxiety, you trust yourself to like, my body can handle this. It's going to be okay. So I think that those practices are very important for self-regulation as well. Yeah, totally. Thanks for saying that. Cause that was kind of my opinion. So I'm glad to hear that validated by you. Yeah. Cause I'm like, I know I stay in my lane. I'm like, I just led a meditation this morning, actually, that I was like, Oh, that might've been a little bit activating. And I checked in with the participants afterwards. And I was like, but this is my opinion just from my own practice. And now from teaching it, I'm like, I, you might bring something up in yoga and that's where, if it's like something too big to deal with on your own, then that's where therapy comes in. Just from my perspective, I'm like, you know, maybe not everybody needs therapy though. Maybe people are like, they can deal with whatever comes up on their own. But then when you find that it, whatever it brings up is like too much, then that's where therapy would come in. So that's right. I'm glad that's to right. hear that validated that like, we're here to, when in yoga, you learn 
self-regulation is like a practice too. I think in my opinion, I'm Mm -hmm. like, it takes Mm -hmm. practice Mm -hmm. over Mm -hmm. the years. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, I, in, in SC, there's this idea of pendulation versus titration. So pendulation is the natural movement of our nervous system from sympathetic activation, which is like excitement, joy, all those up feelings, right. Mm-hmm. To parasympathetic deactivation, which we, you know, rest and digest that sort of thing. And so for the course of a day, you're naturally going to kind of co- go up and down Mm-hmm. But we want it to be this nice wave kind of feeling rather than spiky where you hang out or you stay in activation or anxiety or you're always low and you dip down into depression. So I think, you know, like yoga, you're if you're with this class, the pendulation is the natural movement. Titration is either yourself or someone else pushing you a little bit up or helping you come down a little bit. Mm. So with yoga, right, you're doing that, you know, in a class, you're going through those different things. So someone can start to kind of have a little taste of coming down if they're scared of that or going up if they're scared of that. Right. Right. It's modulated in that way. Yeah. I love that. Thanks for explaining that that way. So um, with that, I loved something you said earlier that you Uh, I might misquote, but you said like, you like to do work that feels like it comes from like who you are. So I want to hear more about the somato emotional endurance. I want to hear more about that, but can you also mention something we talked about before we were on recording Yes. Um, your book? Like what's that been like? Cause writing a book is not easy. And I've, that's one thing I like to highlight with the show is like people that are doing work of themselves, right? Like we can all only follow our own best path and it's never easy. So can you say more about what that, you know, what that's been like and how you've been navigating that? Oh my God. Yeah. I mean, as you're asking that question, it's like, wow, I I just went back actually and asked, I, it just flashed into my mind for the first time. Like, you know, it's, I was talking to you about being in grad school and writing that essay, those, those series of essays. And I'm thinking, wow, maybe like right now I've kind of come full circle and now I have this ability to write in a way that I I hadn't because in a way that was kind of, you know, I'm associating writing with trauma and a little bit there, right? Um, I just had that realization. So um, yeah, I, you know, one of the reasons, honestly, being a therapist appealed to me was because I thought, oh, I can set my own schedule so I can write. And, and no, no, that's not how it happened. Um, right. Therapy in doing, being a therapist, it is emotionally and physically taxing. Mm -hmm. And I do not have the ability most of the time to just write, you know, very often because of that, you know, um, you really have to be in a, in a resourced rested place to write. You have to be in a resource rested place to be a therapist. And so that's, you know, it's a lot of work. So, um, so yeah, so my, as far as that, um, I, um, I've written off and off on and off over the years. And like I was telling you before, because I'm a therapist, because I see so much and learn so much from my wonderful clients, I've had multiple ideas for books, you know, and Mm -hmm. just, it's because it's, it's so fascinating. I'm always learning. I'm always learning. And so it's just this like wonderful, like, oh my God, there's this thing. Oh my God. Now there's this thing about people that I know and I understand. So, uh, I have taken 
several of my ideas to agents and agents have said, wow, these are great. Only problem is you don't have a social media following. And nowadays, because there's so much competition, um, you know, it doesn't matter how good of a writer you are or how, you know, what the book is like, it's, is this book going to sell for sure? Do we have right. a, a certain number of, of books that are going to sell? And they want to know that going into it. I'm sorry, my dog is having an asthma attack right now. <laughs> happens. Poor baby. Um, so because of that, I got really disgruntled and I thought, I'm not a social media person. How am I going to do this? So I went down this road for years of thinking I'm going to do online courses, but my, my energy just wasn't behind it. I would start mm-hmm. and I would take all these courses about how to do courses, courses about how to do social media. And right. it just, I could not get it together because that's not really what I wanted to do. And so my, uh, my web designer, we've been working on my web, my new website and um, we were talking about it and, you know, I've, I've paid business coaches a lot of money and I'm just talking to my web designer. She said, every time you talk about these courses, you're kind of like, uh, have to do the courses. When you talk about the book, you light up and you're all excited. She's like, what are you doing? And I said, thank you. Thank you. You know, like you are the first person who said this to me and just were straight with me about it. And it's like, now I'm like, you know what? Not a big deal. The other thing she said was, why don't you just get on like social media and talk about your process of writing a book? Oh my God. It's like, people want to hear about that how too. How simple is that? Because honestly, I, I am turned off by therapists on Instagram and TikTok. I am like, it, it's very, I think it's good because it's opening up and helping people educate and making therapy more mainstream, but it's also very, you know, minimizing and right. it, it, it feels kind of ick to me. Um, so I personally wouldn't have been able to do that, but sharing just who I am and this thing that I'm working on that feels more aligned with me and how I want to do things. So I've started posting to TikTok. I have no idea what I'm doing and I don't care. I don't care right. that I'm doing good. I don't care that I'm not doing dances and putting the little songs on. I don't care. Um, so, so now, you know, like we were talking about, because I'm, you know, like not going against who I am, I'm working right. with who I am and what I am. And then just putting that out there. Now things feel easy. They don't feel hard. It's not like pulling this weight behind me. Oh, I got to do this online course. And and yeah. I love teaching, um, but I would rather, you know, maybe do a hybrid, um, you know, maybe do it in person. That's what, you know, that that's more my thing. And rather than this pre-recorded thing, and I'm putting it out there only for, to get, you know, people to follow me so that I can have that following for my book. You know, this is it was all no about matter, the book in the first place. Yeah. No matter yeah. what, at the end, if I write a book and nobody reads it, it's okay. Like I feel fulfilled now, you know, regardless. That's awesome. I love that. Thank you for sharing that because I think that's also very insightful about like the process that most of us go through. We're like doing things because it's the way that other people tell us we should. And then when we finally realize like, oh, I can just do it my own way from the jump and it'll be fine. Um, But I also, so like you're writing this book now and it's about 
what you kind of do in your mm-hmm. practice. Um, well, so can you, yeah. Can you say more about that or you, the, this model of yours? Yeah. Can so you what I do in that? my practice is I work with that window of tolerance and helping people get a bigger window of tolerance so that no matter what happens in their life, they're able to handle it better and more easily mm. and to kind of heal any past trauma. Um, you know, people, I, a lot of people, most people I see, they have done therapy before, oftentimes for decades. And uh, my referrals are largely from other therapists who say, we've done all we can. We've gotten to this point. They need somatic work. So mm. that's what I do. So the book is about just my observations about if you don't have access to someone like me or something like this or whatever, what can you do on your own? to heal yourself. And this idea comes from the, the, you know, the, the thing is somato emotional endurance. So for me, um, because of all the trauma that I've had that I actually haven't talked about, um, and my life, um, I thought, you know, I endured this life was suffering in the Buddhist concept and I endured it. Mm -hmm. And there are times in life when it's not happy and it's not joyful and you must endure. So how do you use your, you know, your body, your, your somato, your, your soma to make yourself strong enough psychologically and emotionally to get through those times. So to me, everything Mm -hmm. is about enduring. And when you have, and you grow your window of tolerance, you can endure more easily. So what are the things we need to do to be able to endure the suffering in life? Mm -hmm. And that's what this is. So the first thing is self-regulation. And then once you're self-regulated, then you need to get your finances in order (laughs) because finances are survival. And if you don't have some sort of minimal stability in that, you're going to feel dysregulated. You're not going to feel right because it becomes everything, right? It becomes that life becomes, you know, that song, bittersweet symphony. Like, how do I, you know, how do I do this? So then once you have that, then creativity. And if you listen, um, there's seven things and they might align with the chakras. (laughs) Okay. Wow. And, and um, yeah, so we, I think that creativity really, you know, enlivens us and brings joy and brings and helps us understand who we are as individuals and as communities. And then the next thing is correcting faulty cognitions. So this is, you know, you can use any kind of, you know, cognitive work or therapy here. Uh, Philosophy, I think as a whole, our society is really far from uh, philosophy and understanding, you know, we're not a Mm -hmm. society that studies this anymore. Um, so going back and maybe having a basic understanding of philosophy of logic, because if, you know, if you're someone who has trauma, your brain lies to you and you see things and you read things in ways that are not true. So you've got to correct that faulty cognition, right? Mm -hmm. And so that takes work. And then the next thing is, having healthy relationships and connection to your community, right? Again, this is about, you know, us as mammals, we need that. We need that connection. And then also the next one is connection to nature. I, you know, because I didn't have 
um, the holding environment from my mother that I needed. I, I did for my grandmother, but um, on the day-to-day basis with my mother, I turned to nature, nature held me. Mm. Um, and I, and, you know, again, that feeling part of that, that, you know, there had to be something bigger than me holding me. And for me, it was nature. So right. that, um, there's that that's important. And that also is connected to, I'm, I'm also an echotherapist. So I have training in echotherapy for me, honestly, you know, it's that thing of how can we be sane in an insane world? We can all heal ourselves, be optimal functioning, all that sort of stuff. But if, you know, our planet Mm -hmm. is dying, we have overpopulation, we have pollution, we have all this stuff going on we're not going to be able to maintain that because we are nature. Yeah. And so to me, having that basis of, I am connected to nature. I am part of nature. We have to have that in order to be psychologically well. And so, you know, we're, we're getting far from that. So that's part of this. And then finally, then giving back because again, you know, that's, that's like the 12th step. Um, and It's again, that's another part of that connecting to not only caring about our own families or our own self, we are part of this whole matrix. Everything is interconnected. And so we do need to understand that as well. And the thing about this is, you know, you start at the bottom with the self-regulation, finances, creativity, and you go up. But then what happens is you start all over again. So it's this Mm. all, it's a spiral that's constantly starting over again, because imagine once you, you know, go through all these, then, you know, and you give back, you start over and your self-regulation, you're going to be able to get to a higher level you know, more self-regulated Then your finances are going to go even to a higher level. Your creativity is going to be at a higher level. Your relationships are going to be even better. And then you go up the spiral again, and then you start over at a higher level and you just keep going up and up in that way. I love that. That's what I see happen as as, Uh a way for people to heal and to not get frustrated because, you know, it is like, you have to kind of have these baseline things, a starting point. And then once mm-hmm. you feel confident in, in that, then you can, then you make things better and, you know, refining your asana, refining your pose, right. It just, it's all mm-hmm. changing. It's, it's, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah. I love that. That's awesome. So can you say more about, I think journaling is a pretty big part of that process or. Yeah. So I, I one of the first things, um, that I came up with is something I call somatic writing. And, um, you know, I I have background in writing and um, I'm a psychotherapist. So uh, James Pennebaker in the 1990s, he's a UT professor. um, I think he's retired now. And he did research studies with UT students and uh, writing about um, a stressful event or a traumatic event. And the research was they wrote 20 minutes a day, four days in a row. And one of the things was, you know, their immune markers six months later were, were still, you know, they, they base this on how many times did they go to the, the med center at UT. Mm-hmm. And, and so immune functioning was still higher after six months from doing just that 20 minutes, four days in a row. So there's that. And then, um, there's also, um, 
you know, I came up with this whole thing about whenever you want to heal trauma, you need to, you know, with the emotional piece is looking at how did I feel about it then? And how do I feel about it now? Mm. And you're also, you know, when you're, this is a part of Daniel Siegel and interpersonal neurobiology, you're wanting information across the corpus callosum. So you also want facts. So his research was about people who were like over-emotional um, and couldn't remember facts because they were so flooded. And then the people who were, re- you know, repressing things and disassociating and they were only about facts. So for your right. brain to heal, you need both things. You need facts and you need emotion. So when people are journaling and they're just venting and they're just, ah, you know, that's okay, but that's not as helpful as weaving in, you know, what actually happened with those emotions. So the somatic writing piece is, you know, um, different practices that I've come up with, you know, different journaling prompts. And then I have people just write and journal, and then we go back and we kind of code it. Did you, in your journaling, did you write things from an objective perspective during that traumatic event? Did you write about how you feel about it now? Did you write about how you felt about it then? And sometimes one of those pieces is missing. And so to help the brain heal, we go back and we add that piece of the writing. Does that make sense? Yeah. Wow. That's cool. Yeah. So that's really amazing. All the work you do is really amazing. And thank you for sharing that. I love, and I love hearing about the research behind it. I was like that Pennebaker, that sounds familiar. And I think it's because I used a scale in my undergraduate research that he made. Now I can't remember which mm-hmm. one, mm-hmm. but I was like that name. I was like, yes. he does work in the mind body arena mm-hmm. for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, so with your book, how's it going? If folks want to hear about it, find out about it, stay in touch with you. Where, where do they go? So my website is katyadams.com, K-A-T-Y adams.com. And I'm still working on the website, but you can go there and you can sign up for my newsletter and, you know, all the updates. Um, my somatic psychotherapy practice is serpent dove wellness. So you can go to serpentdovewellness.com and find me there. Um, I am on Instagram and TikTok and it's Katie Adams, y'all. Love it. Yeah. So, <laughs> so you're based in Austin now. Yeah. Yeah. I'm in Austin though. So there's a decent amount of listeners to this podcast in Austin. So oh. maybe some of them will come check you out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I see people from all over. So yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah. Well, thanks so much for your time. Are there any last thoughts that you would want to leave us with maybe about your work or just what you, the point you want to make to people, anything like that? Yeah. The thing I want to say is I get people who come to me are really sometimes hopeless because these things can go on for years. You can feel like there's no help. Um, it's tiring. It's exhausting. And I, I just want people to understand that, you know, we are meant to heal. Our bodies want to heal. We have the ability to heal. It's that we've learned these ways to stop ourselves from feeling into our bodies because we're afraid of what's there. Yeah. And our parents maybe were afraid of that and they didn't teach us how to do that. And so I just want to offer hope. Don't give up. 
you know, find ways to become friends with your body. And, you know, if, even if there's pain in your body and you, there's a reason why we've stayed away from our body to slowly, you know, whenever you're feeling maybe neutral, maybe everything hurts or it's too scary. I'm going to have a panic attack if I go into my body. Well, I say, notice that one cell in your elbow or that one cell in your ear or that one eyebrow hair that doesn't hold that stuff. And just kind of notice that and start there and start small. And then you can kind of start expanding that. But don't give up hope because we are meant to function and be healthy. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and I and I want to thank you for for this because you know yoga is a part of this, and you know reminding people yoga is this thing that we can all do at home. We, we have access to it, yeah. and so I really appreciate you doing this and and putting this out there. Yeah, well, thanks so much. Thanks for sharing your work. And I hope folks will stay in touch about your book because I'm excited about it. Me too. Thank you. (laughs) Well, that's it, folks. That's it for the interview. I hope that was as thought provoking and inspiring to you as it was to me. And I hope you learned something because I certainly did learn a few things through this interview and revisiting it in the editing process. So I'm glad you're here. Check out Katie's work, especially if you are local to Austin. I know some of you are. And Um, definitely get on that newsletter for her book because I think it's going to be fantastic. And so then also if you want yoga that is highly informed by this framework, because that's kind of the work I do as a yoga teacher, that's pretty much what I offer with my membership. It is not open for enrollment right now, but you can get on the wait list at yogiscopes.com slash membership, and you can get notified when it reopens in probably January sometime is when I will reopen it. I might do a little flash open around Christmas. We'll see, um, around the solstice. In fact, because we have a pretty cool solstice event coming up as well that will be, that's my work is, that's why I asked so many questions about journaling because the membership is all yoga practices and guided journaling prompts and they follow the astrology. So if you're into astrology, that's helpful. If not, Honestly, the reason I do it is because it gives something like a thread that I can follow so I don't have to come up with what's next all the time. And that's why I do that. I I enjoy it. I know astrology is not for everybody, but it just gives a thread throughout the year to connect with nature and constantly be revisiting these different parts of ourselves because astrology really encompasses all the parts of ourselves. And we do yoga practices and guided journaling every single week. We have yoga practices and guided journaling that you can do on your own time or you can attend live. Um, and that's there for you. So I would really love if you jump on the wait list, join us there, join us in the winter solstice event, which will be, um, yoga and guided journaling and planning for next year. It'll be a great time. I hope to see you there. You can find information about all of that on my website, yogiscopes.com slash offerings or just poke around. Um, yeah, thanks for being here. If you got something out of this episode, please share it with a friend who you think would enjoy this information. Um, like, share, subscribe, you know, do the things. Let me know in the comments if you catch it on YouTube, which is a thing now. Uh, Your thoughts, your questions. Thanks so much for being here. Please remember to always keep your feet on the ground, your head in the stars, and stay in the light. Until next time, friends.